We're in chapter 17, and we're learning about the causes of the exile of the 10 tribes. We saw they've just been exiled in this chapter. And now verses 7 to 23 are going to explain the root causes and sins that brought about this major catastrophe from Israel. And we saw from uh, the beginning of this explanation here, the summary of their sins, verses 7 to 9, that it was a gradual regression. Didn't happen at once. The first king of the kingdom of Israel was Yeravam and Nevat, who was sanctioned by, by the prophet, anointed by the prophet to lead the Jewish people, that, that 10 tribe uh, kingdom. And he wasn't sitting at, at the get-go. He was a tzaddik, you know. He wasn't chosen for nothing, but he was arrogant. And he made, it alteration, he made these alterations in Judaism to distinguish his kingdom from the Judean kingdom. And that eventually evolved into idol worship many years later. But it wasn't, for the beginning, blatant idol worship in the days of Yerovah Menavat. But he certainly started them on their path to sin. And then the verse mentions the high places, which were all over the place in the kingdom of Israel, from the watchtower to fortified cities. That's what it said. But again, the bamot, the altars, these private altars that people would sacrifice on, were not necessarily for idol-worshipping deities, but the altars were also used for Hashem, just like in Judea. The Judean kingdom also had altars, which the kings of Judea weren't able to remove, even though it wasn't allowed. Once the temple was built, you're supposed to go to the temple and not use these altars. It was still rooted in even in Judea. And in the kingdom of Israel, where you can't get to the temple anyway because it's blocked off from you, it makes sense that there were a lot of altars. So let's look to verse 10. That's what we're up to. What else did they do wrong? And they erected for themselves monuments, matsevot. Now, a matseva could be a monument. It could be a, a tombstone. But here we're talking about these pillars or these big, big stones that were used for um, all kinds of uh, worship. Vasherim. They also um, set up these asherim, which are these trees. Al kol givagvoa. And every hill, high hill, v'tachad kol etzranan, and under every green tree. So the matseva, the first thing mentioned, the matseva, these monuments or these big giant stones. If you look back at the uh, book of Genesis, chapter um, 28, it says that Jacob also uh, erected a matseva. He woke, it says he woke up and he was sleeping on this stone. And he, then he used that stone as a pillar, as a metzeva, metzeva, and he put oil on it. So a couple of times Jacob was using these metzevas. So why is it awesome? Uh, why is it forbidden? Because even though the forefathers did employ metzevot, it says in the book of Deuteronomy that there's a verse, You shall not erect a metzeva, a pillar that Hashem Hates. So what happened? Why did it become rejected by God, these matzevas? So Rashi explains it on that verse I just read. He says, Even though in the days of our forefathers, in Abraham, Jacob, and Yitzchak, during those days it was allowed, and it was even beloved by Hashem, matzevas, Akshav Sana, now Hashem rejects it and hates it. Because it became a law for the pagans. So the pagans love these matzevas too. They would use them all the time. In the, in the land of Canaanite, Canaan, they were using these matzevas all over the place. 
So it became associated with them. And because of that, Hashem eventually banned these pillars to use for worship. So again, it's a slow progression towards blatant idol worship. Everything here is borderline here, that they were doing things that were wrong, but they weren't, you can understand it. Now the Asherah trees, it says. What is an Asherah tree? It's all, you see it all over the place in the Bible, they had Asherah trees. And some say the Asherah tree was idol worship connected to a fertility goddess, and it somehow enhanced sexual immorality, so they liked these trees. But if you go to Tractate Avodazara, talks a lot about Asherah. There's a big discussion on what's allowed, what's not allowed. Can you sit on this tree that was used for that, if it was planted for that originally? And what then there's a mission of what is an Asherah? And the majority opinion is that they were planted to beautify the idol worship experience. It's not that they worship these trees, but they were like accessories to the idol worship experience. It gave you shade. There would be a path of trees leading up to the church. As a matter of fact, there's a Roman coin, famous Roman coins, which show an altar, and it's situated under these Asherah trees. So again, it's an accessory, accessory to the worship, but not worship itself. So it's wrong. But again, we see here in the verses that they weren't engaging in blatant idol worship at the beginning, but it got progressively worse. Let's look at verse 11. And they burnt incense all over these places, like the nations, like the Goyim, that the Lord had exiled before them. And they did evil things to make Hashem angry or to provoke Hashem. So now they're copying the Canaanites who Hashem had thrown out. So you're not supposed to do what they do. He didn't throw them out so you could do the same thing. And they're copying the Canaanites. And it says they did it which comes from the word angry. Ko'es means angry. Lahachis means to make somebody else angry. Here they're making Hashem angry. And we saw that term used often with King Omri and King Ahab, that they were lahachis. They did it purposely to provoke Hashem. See, there's two motivations that cause somebody to sin. The most common motivation that drives one to sin is is, is teavon, his appetite. You know, he, he wants to get that, he wants to have that tasty cheeseburger and he, he can't overcome his Yetzirah. His evil inclination gets the best of him. So he's got to have that ice cream after the Chinese food. It goes really good together. He's not doing it lahachis. He's not doing it purposely. He's just weak and he can't overcome his, his, uh, his lusts. But, a much worse motivation is when you're doing it, and this is only very wicked people could be driven this way, lahachis, they're doing it spitefully to make Hashem angry, to provoke Hashem. And that's what's here written in chapter, in verse 11. And again, we saw that employed a lot, that verse lahachis with Omri and Ahab, two, two major kings of the 10 tribes going back. Now we go to verse 12. And here it comes. Gilulim. Boom. And they worshipped idols. And now it comes. Which the Lord said not to do. So it's a very quick verse. But it comes right to the point that they outright did idol worship with the Hashem told them not to do. Now notice, it's kind of humorous, that the word for idol worship is gilulim. And galalim is also the Hebrew word for feces or you know donkey dung or number two that's the word same word that's used for idol worship 
So that's obviously the, the Bible's way or Hashem's way to show us or to make a mockery, intentional mockery out of idol worship, giving it the same name as what we use for feces. Okay, now we're going to read verses 13, 14. This is now going to concentrate on the prophets that Hashem sent to us. And Hashem warned Israel and Judea through all the prophets and all the visionaries. And what do these prophets say? They would say to the 10 tribes and to Judea as well. And they could have learned from the prophets of Judea as well as from the prophets of Israel. And the prophets would warn them, they would say, repent of your evil ways. Shimru mitzvotai v'chukotai. Keep my commandments and my statutes. And go back to my law that I commanded your forefathers, that I sent through my servants, the prophets. So Hashem sent these prophets, telling us to do tshuva, to repent. But it says in verse 14, But they did not heed. And they hardened their their necks like their forefathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God. So the Mitzvah David said, this is a reference to, this, to the forefathers in the days of the golden calf sin. We harden our hearts just like they did, and we did not repent, despite the warnings of the prophets. So these verses are really important uh, because they're an important part of the sin, a major part of the sin. According to some commentators, the, the root of it all these verses focus on one theme, the rejection of Hashem's prophets. And this is a great chesed when Hashem sends these prophets to the 10 tribes that as he was doing and to, to Judea, to the Jewish people, these prophets are sent by God to, in an attempt to stop the downward spiral. Hashem sees the spiral, the prophets see it, and it's a great chesed that Hashem is trying to get us to wake up. But the people rejected the rebukements of the prophets. We saw those chapters, a lot of chapters of Elisha and Elijah before Elisha doing all they can to bring the 10 tribes back to the proper path. And we saw even that Elijah was often very harsh and overzealous for the Jewish people. And so was Elisha. He could also be tough. But again, they were doing this because they knew what would happen if the Jews don't do tshuva. That would be terrible tragedy. That's what was driving these prophets to uh, do what they did. But we rejected them. We rejected the prophets. That's what the verse is teaching us. And that's really essentially rejecting God's hand, who's reaching out to help us. And we're saying no. So again, that's a major part of the overall sin. We were stubborn. We were hard, stiff-necked people. Now, just one more point on this verse. It's a little bit uh, technical, but it's an interesting point. It is that Hashem sent Prophets and seers, Nevi'im and Chozim. A Chozeh is somebody who sees. Chozeh or Chazon means a vision. That's one name for a prophet. And Navi is the other name for a prophet that we usually use. The other word is the Ro'eh. We see in the Bible, a Ro'eh is a prophet also. He's the seer. There is translated as a seer because Ro'eh means to see. Just like Chozeh means to see. Now what's the difference between a Navi and a Chozeh? They're both, in, they're both used here in the verse. A prophet and a seer. And the fact is, um, the, the difference is that Ro'eh or Jose, that refers to the prophet's ability to see. The prophet sees, he has vision, sees the future. 
And the V refers to the role of the prophet that he's got to speak up. Neves fatayim, to speak. That's why it says in the book of Exodus, Hashem says to Moses, Aaron will be your neviecha. He will speak for you. He'll be your spokesman. There it's not meant as a prophet who sees the future, but neviecha will be your, from the word neves fatayim. So that refers to the part of the prophet, Navi, that he has to rebuke the, the, the role of the prophet to chastise. Now it's interesting that in the book of Shmuel, Shmuel 1 chapter 9, they kind of talk about Navi and Ro'eh, the two terms. Right, right, straight up, they're going to mention it. But let me give you a little background. There's a story in the book of uh, Shmuel, chapter 9, that Saul, before he becomes king, he's out looking for his donkeys. His donkeys strayed. And Saul and his attendant, they want to ask the prophet as to the whereabouts of his donkeys. In the end, they're going to run to Samuel, the prophet, who's going to anoint Saul. You know, Saul's going out looking for donkeys. He's going to get an anointment as king kind of unexpected for him. But at this point, he's just looking around for his donkeys. They went where they strayed. And they use the term ro'eh, that they're looking for the ro'eh, the seer. They want to get information. Maybe the seer can tell them where he is. They do not use the word navi, prophet. Then the Tanakh, very uncharacteristically, provides us with some historical information, very parenthetical to the story. It suddenly says like this, that in Israel once, formerly in Israel, then when someone wanted to inquire of God, they would say, let's go to the seer. They would use the word ro'eh, seer. For the prophet of today was formerly called the seer. So what we call Navi now, in the days of the Saul, was once called a seer. Or should I say, in the days of Saul, he's called a seer. And since then, later on, he's called a navi, a prophet. So Rabbi, Rab Kamenetsky says that, what's the difference? That at one time they were called seers because the prophet, that's what he did. He would see, but he did not rebuke. That wasn't part of his job. But when they started to rebuke the Jewish people, they became a navi because as we said, that's from the word to, see, uh, to speak. Nives fatayim. That's the role of rebukement. And that's why it went from ro'eh to navi. But going back to Saul and his donkeys, I got to bring this great chidush by Rabbi Kahana in his uh, commentary on Sefer Shmuel, also about Navi and Ro'eh. Navi, again, is one word for a prophet, and Ro'eh is the other word, a seer versus a prophet. Saul says to his attendant, what did he say, though? He said, what should we bring to the man that is there looking for the donkeys? And they want to bring the prophet who tells them where it is, a gift, because it was the custom to give a gift to the prophet who rendered services. So in Hebrew it says, what shall we bring? Manavi. What shall we bring is also the word navi. Just like navi means prophet, it also means to bring. Manavi. What should we bring? Like, as if the word prophet also means bring it over, you know, hand over the cash. So in those days, navi might have been a derogatory word. For, uh, for the seers or the prophets who would take stuff for their services, just like today, sometimes the rabbis for their blessings or their services will take all kinds of monies and gifts and so forth. You could see through the verses, and Bezrat Hashem will learn it when we get back to, uh, we learn this book of Samuel after we finish Kings, we can see through those verses that possibly what we're talking about here is Navi, bring it, is like a prophet who was saying, Tavi, Tavi, Navi, bring it over, which again was a negative word, but the ro'eh, the seer, that was the original role of the prophet, and we'll continue uh, in our next year.
what caused the sins, what, what sins brought about the exile of the 10 tribes. We'll go back to our narrative. 